All right, so with Hashem's help, let's jump into it. It's such a privilege to be able to sit together, to learn together, and it's uh, it's really sweet to be able to have all these incredible Yidin Jews around the table together. Um, so today we're going to take a look at Torah Ayin Reish Hay, um, which is 275. And the reason it's switched around is because we don't like to have Reish Ayin, which spells Ra, um, which is bad. And so we don't, uh, we, we flip them around in, in, in the Svarim, but it's 275 and you have it on your on your uh, your page before you. So let's take a look at Rabbi Nachman's teaching over here. Now just a little bit of a background before we actually take a look. You know, the realm of the afterlife is something that a lot of people contemplate. It's something, you know, in every tradition, people have wondered about it. Nobody's really come back to tell us precisely what it is, even though every tradition has their traditions. People have visions and people have had near-death experiences caught a glimpse in some sense or another of what's next, so to speak. There seems to be a ubiquitous sense among all cultures and throughout time that this experience, because it's limited by nature, um, is not all there is. And there's a feeling that there's more to the human experience than just physical phenomena, right? Meaning to say that, and we spoke about this, I think, a couple of classes ago, when we speak about the body, We understand that the body in and of itself can't be the whole picture because we have many corpses that are fully functional, theoretically functional bodies that can be sliced up and in many cases are and the heart goes to this one, the liver goes to that one, the kidney goes to the other one and all essentially functional physical uh, entities but something fundamental is missing and that something fundamental is the soul. And so there's the sense that in the same way that a, a bunch of atoms become a bunch of cells, become a bunch a bunch of limbs, slowly but surely the fetus develops and at some point it becomes sentient, conscious, a great debate over exactly when that is. But ultimately there's there's the there's the um, investment of a of a of a spiritual element, however you want to define that, but there's a spiritual element within the physical that brings it to life. So in the same way when a person comes to the end of their journey which is very short. If you really think about it, it's not the longest journey. And even if a person lives, as I bless all of us to live till 120, it passes by super duper quickly. I mean, you know, whatever, wherever we are at, our, at, at the stage, it's like, it's very clear that this is not a thing that's forever. There's the assumption that when this part ends, some more fundamental part of us carries on living, carries on living. So what, is the, what does this mean? Right? In the Jewish tradition, this is a major, major thing. Belief in olam haba. Right? Belief in a world to come. Belief in schar and onesh. Belief in, um, I don't like using the words reward or punishment, but belief in consequence. Belief in consequence in the sense that the things that we do here have a broader import than our this worldly experience alone. Belief that there's consequence, right? Um, that concept of belief in consequence goes hand in hand with the teaching of our sages in Pirkei Avos that this world should be seen as a corridor to the great hall. Now, this is not where it's at. This is just a little bit of a mission. It's a little bit of a, a like, like a temporary um, assignment, as it were, for soldiers. Uh, it's just it's just a battle. It's not the war, right? It, or, not to use that terminology per se, but it's just a, a short little holiday, as it were, for the soul having a physical human experience. That ultimately we're gonna we're, we're, we go through it, we pass through it, and we're reborn into the true realm, to the realm of total clarity. Because there's one thing that's clear to us is that there's no clarity in this realm. All we have is questions. All we have is wonderment. All we have is 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 uh, is is grasping at some kind of significant meaning. Um, and the more honest we are, the more we recognize that we don't know. We spoke about that in a previous class, right? And that's in a certain sense the pinnacle of spirituality is to come to the recognition that we don't fundamentally know. But ultimately, this realm is just a little bit of a corridor until we get to that place. Until we get to that place where we can strip ourselves of the external uh, element of our humanity, which is the body and everything that is associated with it, which is fundamentally limiting, because every person as a physical being starts and ends, whether it's width or it's length or it's height or it's whatever it is, but we're limited and we're limited in our time and we're limited in our personalities, right? We're limited in our identities and so on and so forth. Even a person who's the broadest of all people, the the cosmopolitan, metropolitan personality, a person who's traveled all, he's still limited. He's, he's He's not everyone and he's not everything and he's not all the time. Still limited. We pass through this limited realm and then we pass into into the true 
or truer <coughs> realm of experience. Why does, it, so, why does it use the concept of, of passing through? Because ultimately, isn't isn't death returning the soul to its source? So, yeah, so maybe the hall is the same hall that we came from. So that, what, it maybe it's a circular, circular, a circular corridor. Circular corridor. <laughs> or like a, a horseshoe. Well, I was here to say a horse. A horseshoe, right? It's something similar to like the the uh, the Kriyas Yamsuf kind yeah. of, you know, where they, they didn't so cross the ocean. They went from of, one place to another yeah. place. And the question is, so what was gained? Yeah. And obviously, okay, so these are huge topics and we have to open them up delicately to understand what the Jewish approach to living in this world, Harry and I were speaking about in the car, like what is the purpose, right? Like what, what, why are we here? Why are we here, right? So in order to understand why we're here, we would have to understand what is it that's gained and by whom? Because of this, that the soul came down into the body for a couple of years and passed through this corridor and ultimately ended up in the same place. Is it the same place? What was gained and by whom? And that second question, by whom, is fundamentally important. And that's where we might differ in a sense in terms of the conversation that we had about really what is the purpose of being here. Ultimately, if it's to attain peace of mind, that's still me-focused. And, that, and that's something that we will develop mm-hmm. further. right? But by whom, if it's for the collective uh, force of divinity, then maybe even living in a slightly uncomfortable way and in slightly uncomfortable circumstances are still somehow fulfilling his purpose, even though they might seem to be contrary to mine, which is an interesting thing to think about, but we'll talk about that more um, one-on-one. Yeah. We haven't even started. We're just, we're just yeah. opening up a topic. Yeah. Isn't it a, a truth that this is the desired location? And whilst we are passing through to the true realm, again, that serves to expound our, our time here to do what we are truly built for as opposed to us passing through in order to return to this is the true pace because of that pace that we're passing through in a sense to. in a sense yeah. that's for sure true and 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 not to get into this now but the met but the, the mishnah that we quoted before the same it's not the same mishnah but the same mishnayot right the same sages that taught that this world is a corridor to the next world also teach better is one our experience of, of Torah and good deeds as we're going to get to in this world, right? From all the, you know, whatever it is that the next world holds for us, this world is really where it's at from a certain perspective. The Valtanya, um, one of the great Hasidic masters, fourth generation, teaches in his, in his landmark work, the Tanya, very clearly this way. And he says even deeper, he says that in the next world to come, we're going to access what's called a Ziv Hashchina. Again, we're using words we don't even know. I don't know what they mean. You know, it, it's we have to recognize that with humility. People talk about these things. We don't have no idea, but we just have words. A glow of the shechin of the divine presence. But he says here in this world, it's the divine himself. So that's like a weird thing. Like, how, what is that? You know, we don't feel that way. We don't experience it. But again, the question is, who's it for? So from Hashem's perspective, this is it in a sense, in a sense. But there's, but, but both are true. Both are true, and they're, they're two different aspects or facets of the same experience. Right, so in one sense, this is where it's at, and this moment in time, which is just an illusion because in the truest, truest essence of, of existence, there is no time, there is no space, and so like this is always happening. This dynamic, you and me sitting here, has always been and will always be in a certain sense, right? This is it, right? in a certain sense. This is the focal point of existence, but from the perspective of the soul of the personal identity we're just on a bit of a journey on a corridor back to that place back to that place so all of us understand that classically understood the better we spend our time here the more conscious the more plugged in the more focused the more we get in the next realm Right, and 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 this is true on many, many, many different levels of understanding. It, it begins with the most immature of understandings, where we think about like some kind of reward, as as in the same sense, maybe even ah, great to see you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, in the same sense of like maybe physical pleasure, right? And so we think, obviously, we understand that we don't have bodies there, right? But but um, pleasure, the same way that we enjoy certain things here, when we get there, we'll have pleasure, right? So that's on on one hand, that's obviously a very limited perception of it. But then as a person as a person grows and as our ex- understanding expands we understand that we access greater and greater perceptions of, of elokus in that place 
greater perceptions of godliness, closer and closer to God. The, 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 the pleasure of intimacy, of connecting to our source, of feeling at home, which is, which is maybe more joy-oriented than pleasure-oriented, right? Or happiness more than pleasure. It's not a, a momentary experience. But it's the, it's the core, deepest depth of it without having a body that gets in the way. Just every feeling we ever wanted to feel, forever, right? In, in ever-increasing levels of, of, of depth. Like, whatever this means. Whatever this means. But imagine, whatever it is, and then it's, it's infinitely, infinitely more than that. But how does it work? How does it work? Is it, is it that there's some kind of machine, some kind of system, where every time that a Jew does a good deed of whatever kind, whether it's something more spiritually oriented, one of the mitzvahs, or learning Torah, which is like the, the primary, primary mitzvah of all mitzvahs, or um, doing a, a, a kindness for somebody else, or living more consciously, working on oneself, um, exercising consciously, all these different things which are good, productive, healthy deeds that channel a great light of healing into the world one way or another, that in that great system, there's a check or, or a tick, I think they call it here, right? A check. And, and that means that correspondingly, when we get up there, you know, okay, we, we get paid, so to speak, in terms of how many, you know, how, how many uh, bills we have. So we're able then to go ahead and pay for that experience. And then we get upgrades and upgrades and upgrades based on how much we have. Is that what it is? Like capitalist? How does it work? What's the mechanism? And so in this very short teaching, Rabbi Nachman teaches... A very fascinating, and I think I think um, a very what's the word? Novel. Illustrative. It is novel, but it's also um, visual. A very visual perception. Again, it's all a metaphor because up there, there are, we're going to see there are no candles, no lights. It's all it's all a metaphor, but it gives us a little bit of a deeper understanding of what it is that we're getting to prepare ourselves for that great hallway, whatever that will mean, and and. You can trust me, I can trust you. None of us know what it is. None of us, none of us know what it is. None of us know what it is because we're so incredibly limited in our human form, thinking with a physical brain, that there is absolutely no way for us to comprehend the, 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 the nature of what that experience will be. None of us know. Maybe there are certain, uh, you know, certain substances that can be taken that give a person somewhat of a taste of that. Um, maybe, and, and even that is, it's unclear exactly what that experience is, but it's certainly beyond our limit, our thisworldly consciousness. And there's a lot of study being done in that realm, both for the therapeutic and the spiritual applications of, of certain substances. But, but beyond that, it's a way, we just, we don't know. So there's this, there has to be a certain humility when we talk about these things. You hear people throwing around words like, oh, I'm hot. It's like, you it, we have to understand we're using language that we simply don't have the vessels to even begin to be able to grasp. It's and it's the, it's the pinnacle of hubris to think that we can enter into this conversation with any kind of clear knowledge of what we're going to be learning. Why is it useful yeah. then? Because we're limited humans, so we have to have some words and some mm -hmm. concepts. But again, all in the context, Ali, I think, right, wasn't it last time we learned this this idea and we discussed it, the, the, the not knowing, right? Yeah. It was, it was, was it last year? It was two years ago? Last Sunday night? Last Sunday night we didn't have. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so two Sundays ago, when we learned that, Meaning the pinnacle is still just to, to not know more, right? Meaning, meaning to know more. What does it mean to know more? Is to have more vessels for the light of not knowing. So that's, that's what we're going to enter into now. And a couple questions. Yeah. yeah, no, so two things. First of all, this, this whole thing of it being like a narrow bridge or a corridor or whatever is, is, is from the point of time being linear for us. Yes, our, right, exactly. Linear. So that's why that's, that's one thing. Yeah. Based on what you said before about the idea of all the moments really being an illusion. It's just, you know, it's all one thing. But the second thing is that not, we're, we're limited with words, but we're double limited because it's been put into Lashon HaKodesh, which although it's Lashon HaKodesh, it's still a limitation. Mm. And then and then we translate it into English. So right, it's even, right, it, right. It really is even it's a translation of a translation. Yeah. I'll tell you an amazing thing from Rav Kook. I have to share it to you because I learned it over Shabbos. You know, Rav Kook has a safer. Rav Kook was a preeminent uh, <coughs> Ashkenazic <coughs> sage in the early 1900s. Um, I think he passed away in, in 1920 or so, in the, in the 1920s. Um, and he was he was known for his very deep affinity for the land of Israel. It was before the state, but he, he, he advocated very strongly the Jewish return um, to our national homeland, as is recorded in all the prophets. Um, but even beyond that, I mean, he's, he's looked at culturally as that, but well beyond that, he was a mystic and a, and a halachic uh, a, a, a figure of, of epic, 
epic proportion, epic proportion. Just now, people are starting to to learn about him. I think you've been learning him, right? Yeah. Reading him. Yeah, read the book. Rav Cook. Right, so you know a little bit what I mean. Yeah. A soul the size of the universe. So Rav Cook has a has a small little um, work at the end of his primary work that's called Orot, that's called Reish Milin. Reish Milin is one of Rav Cook's earliest written works, and he himself said that he no longer understands most of it. He said he wrote it in such a state of, of ecstasy that he himself has a hard time really uh, unpacking what he wrote. If I'm not mistaken, I think that he said that. I'm sure somebody will correct me if, the, if that's not the case, but I do believe he said that. Um, and the whole entire work is on the Aleph base. One entry for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, a paragraph. Terse. Every word, every line, bursting with, with, with depth. Bays, gimel, darlet. He works through it. Then he goes through the nekudos, each of the vowels, the Hebrew vowels. The depth of the form and the concept and the philosophy and the psychology and the mysticism of each and every each and every nekuda. What they are. It's called Reish Milin. It's printed at the very back of, not of Orot, I'm sorry. It's printed in the compilation of a number of his works, Or Satchuva, Or Satora, Musar Avicha, Mamre Haraya, and so on and so forth. It's like a, it's a volume. The very end, it's a short little work. It's called Reish Milin. So what he says about the Aleph is the most incredible thing. He says the word Aleph, the letter Aleph is the first letter. So presumably, if the Aleph Bays are to, are to be seen as a hierarchical system where Aleph is the highest and Taf, the last letter, is the lowest, so it's furthest away from the realms that are being channeled by these letters, which are vessels for spiritual lights and concepts, then you'd assume that Aleph is like bursting with godliness, right? As, the, what's that? Isn't Taf first, really? Why? Uh, the way I always, always learned is that from our perspective, Aleph is first. That's I'm not sure. Is. I'm not sure. No, Taf is always, it's, it's called Taf Alma de Piruda, the 400 men of Esav. No, Taf is Gematra Ra'ayin. Taf is, is the, the, the realm of multiplicity. Aleph is one, right? So Aleph is the highest, highest light. Aleph, the letters Pele, right? Which means wonder. It's, it's Aleph is like the hiddenmost realm associated with Keser, the highest, highest, highest revelation. Says Rav Kook, but do you ever notice that in modern Hebrew, at least, and, and, and it comes from a Hebrew word, um, and, and, and the word, um, it's a pasuk, means to teach. I will teach you wisdom, I will teach you knowledge. But what do we call it when a person wants to learn how to speak another language? They go to a ulpan. What's ulpan? Ulpan means translation, right? To learn how to, how. says Rav Kook. You think the Aleph is like pff, spiritual insight? Again, it's the first, it's the highest, the earliest revelation of anything. He says it's already Opan. It's already a, a, a lowly translation of whatever it's going to be going to be transmitting. The Aleph is all, is already meaning anything that can be represented by a physical form or spoken as a letter in this world. It's already a cheap knockoff. It's already a find it. It's a, in in relation to what it's expressing. It's already Opan. Aleph, it's, it's already a cheap uh, knockoff. And that's Aleph. Now imagine Bayes, right? Which is multiplicity and Gimel and, and so on. So that's, that's one of the things that Rav Cook says. Uh, Rav Cook has <laughs> what to say about Taf also. You have to look it up. Why, why is the next world so... So, um, so not brought down and ex- expounded on? Why? In terms of Xav, you're saying? Yeah, why? why? Ask that question. Why, why is it not there if it's such an important part of our life? Because it's not. It's not. Important. It's not. Right? In the Lachatchila, in the ideal of it, we're not meant to be engaging in Avodah Hashem because of the next world. If you ask the standard high school kid, which I've done many, 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 many times, right? What's the, what's why? Like, it's a fundamental question I like to ask people. Why are we doing any of this? They answer 90, 90, 90 plus percent of the time. Reward in the next, in Olamaba. Just. I don't know. I don't know where people. Yeah, I'll get. We'll get to you in a second. I don't know where people are getting this idea from. That's not. That's not why we're doing things at all. It may be on some level a motivator, but like that's not the ideal. That's not. That's not that. You know, that, that's not what we should be. What we should be teaching, um, as as the ultimate. That's not why we do things at all. Um, in fact, again, Pirkei Avos says very clearly where we're not supposed to serve Hashem because of receiving reward. It's there. 
And it's a very important part of the theology because God is a giver and wants to give. He can't hold himself back from giving in the same way that a light, so to speak, if it were conscious, can't hold itself back from shedding light on anything else because that's fundamentally what a light is. And so God is the infinite power that's extending creative energy throughout every realm of being. That culminates in this experience where you and I are sitting here, forms of the divine, surrounded by every strata of existence that's an emanation from that place of Yudke Vavke, that uh, everything around us. And that's, that's the reality that we're living in. It's called the Olam HaAsiyah, the world of physicality, right? So God wants to give. And so Olam Haba is part of the scheme, you know, and that's ultimately the place where God's uh, ultimate, ultimate expression of giving will be manifest to the nth degree. But that's not my, that's not my, that's not my thing. You know, my thing is to reveal divinity in the lowest realms of being, not for me, but for him. And if that means living in, in coffins with windows, so be it, right? Because that's where I'm revealing godliness. If that means if that means getting involved in family life that will seems to distract me from more spiritual or transcendental experiences, so be it. This is my 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 job is to stay conscious even in the office, to stay conscious even in, and that's why in a certain sense, you'll forgive me for ranting, um, but it, but I but I see the 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 um the the the, the the detrimental effects that it's having on a, on a societal level when there's an ideology that's being promoted within certain circles of our, of, so to speak, our circles, um, that, that there's something fundamentally better, spiritually speaking, than being a person who, quote-unquote, sits and learns for many, 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 many years, and a person who commits his full time to Torah, and like, if a person goes to work, in a certain sense, it's like already seen as being, quote-unquote, bidiyeh, but it's not ideal. Or putting the kids to bed, let's say, right? But but I'm talking more in terms of like what you actually do with your time from the standpoint of Pneumius HaTorah and actually understanding what God wants out of this world. In a certain sense, it's on the contrary. And this is the way it was historically. Shevet Levi, there was one tribe that did this. But across the board, like this is what all of us should be doing all the time. God needs people who are who are working. I mean, God, God needs people. God needs people who are doing a plethora of things. As long as they're doing it, God consciously, this is the purpose of all of this, right? And so this is where it's at, in one form or another. Still, these concepts exist, and Rabbi Nachman is going to give us a little bit of another uh, a tool, as it were, to begin to understand that which again is fundamentally non-understandable, but but is still um, is still is still a value because it adds further uh, further clarity um, in, in as we're going to see in our engagement with Torah and Mitzvahs, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, I could be very wrong, but I think I once saw somewhere it says we shouldn't try to find out what's going to happen in the next world. We're going to have a personal shiach. We shouldn't try to work it out. I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, I mean, the Gemara Chagiga says, Right, which means that that, uh, that that which is fundamentally beyond you, there's no point in looking at. And some of the examples that are given is Malfnim, you know, what was before uh, the world was created. And then you say, well, what was before God? It's, it's that, okay, that's a separate conversation, um, which is an important one, but it's not exactly for now. It's not a question that doesn't have an answer. It's a meaningless question to a person who understands the realm that God operates. Parents get very worried when kids ask this question. They shouldn't. There's a very easy answer to that question. Um, because, because before is already within time. And God is beyond time. So it's not restricted by before or after. It's a mistaken notion um, in, in terms of what God is. Or, 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 or ma, ma, you know, malafnim, malachar. There are certain things that are fundamentally beyond. But within the realm of what is allowed to, uh, uh, what we are allowed to know, and that's what's transmitted in the Torah, that's what's transmitted in the teachings of the sages, the oral law, that's what's transmitted by the tzaddikim, Rabbi Nachman included, so that's fair That's fair game. But again, it, it's not the goal, and in whatever it is that we learn, and we got to actually start the piece because we're going to spend the whole time in the introduction, uh, whatever it is that we learn, we do so with humility and with the awareness that we don't really know. And one day we will. One day we will. Okay. Anybody else before we... Oh, oh, you had a question, right? No, I was just going to interject on what Rami yeah. said, but you kind of covered and expounded upon it better than I could, I could articulate it anyway. So, okay. But <laughs> if you live your life right, you don't have to worry about what's coming next. That's you? it. This is where it is. This is where it is. Okay, let's jump in. Da, says Rabbi Nachman, you have to know. And he always says that the lessons that he begins with the word da come from the loftiest realms, from the place of what's called Atsilas. Very, very, very high revelation. High. Every single mitzvah, again, classically translated as commandment, we translate it as 
opportunity for intimacy, because mitzvah means connection. Savta is a connection. So she called mitzvah, mitzvah sha'aisim, every experience of connecting to the divine, which means to the spiritual realm, nasa mimenu ner echad, produces a candle. A candle. And on the candle is a flame, which we're going to see in a minute from the Zohar. When a person leaves the world, if he has a, a big soul, which is so precious in the eyes of Hashem, and all of us undoubtedly have great, great souls. Great souls. If we're living in this generation, great, great souls. They allow this soul to go. And again, we, we're reading words off a page. We don't understand what this means. To search in the treasures of the king. We don't know what the king is. We don't know what his treasures are. But we're just using imagery. He's given a candle and allowed to go and search in the treasure house of the king. is to seek and to take from there what it is that he wants. From the treasure houses of the, of the king, of kings. And whatever he takes from there will be the content of that person's, so to speak, pleasure um, in, in the world to come. Now, Lechipos, in order to search in what's presumably a very dark treasure house that doesn't have any lights, so you need lots of candles. The Gemara, the Talmud, Imsachim, Dafyuram, Edbeis, writes, Shachipos b'neiros. How do you search for something like we search for chametz? Um, the night of the Arlaba, so the night of the fourteenth of Nisan before Pesach, coming up in a few months, we search with a candle. V'lam dumi pasuk. Now, how did they learn out that we search with a candle? Because the verse states, "Ner Hashem nishmas Adam." The soul of man is God's candle. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. Chofes kochadre baten, seeking out the depths of the person's identity. Now, where do we get candles from? So we, so we use candles to search because the Pasuk tells us, Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam Chofes. What do you use to search with? You use a ner, a candle. So how do we get candles? We're going to leave this world one day. We're going to be given an opportunity to, whatever this means, to search in the Genzaya de Malka, whatever that is, wherever that is, whatever that means. And it's very dark. And each person passes single file and is given candles. What are these candles? So we have to look at another verse, which teaches, Bebechinas kiner mitzvah. The mitzvahs that we do, the good deeds that we do, the binding ourselves in humility to the will of Hashem as expressed in His Torah and as clarified by His tzaddikim throughout the generations. We engage with that and we humble ourselves to that. And God said, He told the world that there's I'm giving you a gift. It's the only thing that's called a gift in the whole Torah. The gift of Shabbos. And God says it's for you, it's for each one of you, that every seventh day, spend the day with me. Spend the day with me. Spend the day in study and in prayer without any activity that's going to build upon the physical world because it's a taste of a world where there's no work left to do because it's a taste of a place where you don't need to do anything constructive anymore because everything's already constructed and when we when we allow ourselves to have that experience every seventh day we close all of our electronics and we shut everything down and we and we mamish live primally primally humanly spiritually Wrapped up in holiness, wrapped up in, 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 in blessings and in prayers and in, and in everything that Shabbos is. So we get, a, we get a candle. Forget about the gift that Shabbos is in this world. It's the greatest gift in the world. We get a candle. Ner mitzvah. And with these candles, when we go up after 120 years, with these candles we use to search in the in the Gezai de Malka, in the hidden places of the king. So I'm just going to read, you don't have it in front of you, I'm, I'm just going to read you a few lines inside from the Zohar Kadosh. And the Zohar says like this, When a person only knows God and engages with Yiddishkeit, with Avodos Hashem, with religion, in a general way, meaning we don't really take the time 
to, to really, like Rabbi Nachman uses a Lashon, has a terminology elsewhere, to enter into Avodah Hashem. It's just like something that we sort of, we, you know, it's a, it's a part of our identity, but it's not really fundamentally me, like my mission, my why, that, that informs every other part of my existence. It's a part of, it's a part of life, you know, what is it that we're, we're born Orthodox, what can you do, you know? So you hang around a little bit, you go pray, and you, and you learn a little bit, and you do some mitzvahs, and, you know, we're culturally Jewish, whatever it is. He says, when a person is still like like connecting to God in a general way, so in that realm, we're called a servant of God, which is still like a pretty big deal. Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, Moses was called an Eved, Eved, Moshe, Eved Hashem. But the Avid Pikuda Damare, we're just, we're just like a sort of, like a servant. And we have that relationship where we're fundamentally estranged from the king and uh, we serve him because it's our day job, as it were. And it's transactional. We give him something, we get something, and that's how it is. But that's not what we're speaking about here. We're not speaking about a service of transaction. Because the Zara Kadr says, and he uses the same exact terminology that Rabbi Nachman is quoting here. Because Such a person, it's very sweet, and he'll get his pay at the end of the month. But such a person is not given free reign into the deepest secrets of the king's treasure house. Such a person isn't, isn't, isn't tasting the depth, the depth, the sweetness, the goodness, the essence of it. When a Jew gets in touch with the master of heaven and earth, with the creator of all, not in a general way, because I just happen to be a part of a system, but I build a, prat, a personal relationship with God. I converse with Him. I let Him into my life. I speak to Him in my own words. I let Him know what's going on. Like the Kotzka Rebbe taught, you know, where is God? Wherever you let Him in. So I let Him in, really, really, and I build emuna, and, 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 and cultivate that personal connection, what's called in the Zohar, Ba'orach Prat, Sekadein Ikri Ben Rechimodile. Then you're not a servant of God. Then you're the beloved child of God. It's a whole different relationship. It's a personal uh, uh, relationship where it's, where it's not just about something technical and it's not just something cultural. It's, it's a whole different story. You're the prince. You're not the servant. And the prince has a whole different, different role. And then the prince gets free reign into the deepest, deepest mysteries of existence. The Chol Raz and the Beise in all the mysteries of the king. So let's go back inside. So here we understand what we're speaking about. It's paradoxical. Because we spoke before about Olam Haba not being uh, something that's at the forefront of our, of our um, engagement with Judaism. Because again, we don't want to just maintain it on the level of Eved. Al ke avadim. Right? Don't be like servants. We shouldn't be like that. But we're trying to be a ben. We're trying to be a child. We're trying to build a personal relationship. We're trying to really carry the torch in our hearts. Not simply something that I'm a part of. But to really get to the depth of it. Paradoxically, it's such a person that Rabbi Nachman is speaking about when he reveals how the mechanism works. When we get up there after 120, what that looks like. So Vezebachinas, and this is the aspect of the of the Gemara in Shabbos. Very interesting thing. There's a pasuk that says, "Bamesim Chafshi." Those that are free among the dead, "Bamesim Chafshi." There's a certain freedom that's associated with dying in a certain sense because you're free from the bonds of the of the body. And so let it be clear to you and me, you know, being alive is, is not an ideal situation. It, it comes with a tremendous amount of tension. It's very clear that there's a whole debate back and forth. Was it better for a person to have been born? Was it not better for a person to have been born? You know, even though, of course, Judaism celebrates life, but only when life is seen as a mission. But as this, like this is the pinnacle, forget about it. It's a, it's a, it's a place of, of horrible pain, this world. So we have to fundamentally shift our perspective and understand that we're here not to service the body, for sure not. We're here on a mission. We're here on a mission, not for me, for someone else. I'm a soldier. So the battlefield is muddy and it's cold and it's dark and there's no food there, you know, because it's not a hotel. It's a battlefield. And our job is, is to be soldiers here. So there's a certain freedom, Bamesim Chafshi. Says the Gemara, how does it interpret these words? Kivan Shemes Adam, when a person dies, 
Says the Gemara, A person is free from any mitzvos, any mitzvah obligations that all relate to the human being as a human being in this world. Famously, the Vilna Gon, tremendous, tremendous Lithuanian sage um, of the early 18th century, late 17th century, the, the Vilna Gon famously on his deathbed was sitting there and he was just stroking his tzitzis and he was crying and crying, just kissing them and crying. And they asked him, Rebbe, like, what's going on? He said, in a few minutes from now, I'm going to leave from this world and I, I'll no longer have a body to enwrap with with the will of the divine who wrote in his text that he revealed to our nation that he wants us to wear these strings. And in this physical realm, every second that I wear these strings, I have infinite, 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 infinite light. If a person does it consciously, I'm, I'm, if a person knows the deeper secrets of it, and even if you don't, but for sure if you do, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped in the will of the divine. I don't wear these for fun, right? I wear these because I'm connected to the, to the will of Hashem who writes very clearly in the Torah that, um, that a person should wear tzitzis. And he says, in a, in a few moments from now, I'm going to pass from this realm and I, I just, I won't be able to do that anymore. Kibin So much so that there's a law, many of us are, are familiar, there's a, there's a halacha, there's a law that when a person goes to a Jewish cemetery, we have to tuck in the tzitzis because it's called loeg lorash. Right, it's not fair. It's like almost mocking these the, the, the dead that in some level of the soul that's still present at the place where the body is buried, they're conscious that there are people coming that are flaunting mitzvos and they're like, we can't do that anymore. So in a certain sense, kibin shemez, mitzvos, the Gemara tells us a person dies, we're freed from the mitzvos. That's what it means on a, on a simple level. Word? What's that? Like the wrong word. Like it seems like the wrong word. At least the way that we, that we translate it as free. Like it's like, well, in a certain sense, the mitzvahs can't be restricted, restrictions and restricting. But if we're going off the story with the, with the Vilna Gaon, for example, <coughs> I, I think that like he was upset that right. he couldn't. So like, right. free is not the kind of word that would have come to, to mind, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But this is the this is based on the pasuk. This is the interpretation of the Gemara. What do we become, so to speak, free from? I mean, we do call it a yoke. We do call it an ol malchus It's a burden that we carry. It's it's a, it's a it's a heavy thing. It's a really heavy thing, you know, to be a, a, a Torah-conscious Jew. It's, it's not simple. It's it's very expensive, right? <laughs> and it's and it's and it's it's you know it's 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 intense. It's an intense spiritual discipline. Not easy to do it right. Not easy, right? But says Rabbi Nachman, it means something else. What does it mean on a simple level? Like we said, when a person leaves this world, they become chofesh, means free. But says Rabbi Nachman. Did you notice that this word chofesh is very connected to another similar word, which is lechapes, to search. Same letters. Chofesh, free, and chapes, search. Same letters. Chofesh, chapes. Says Rabbi Nachman, we could reinterpret the Gemara. Kivon shemes adam. When a person leaves this world, nase chafshi doesn't mean that they become free from, but there's a great chipus, a great search. And how does a person search? It's too dark. Minam mitzvos. Not that they become free from the mitzvos, but the search that they engage with is minha mitzvos. They are able to have light and candles to the degree that in this world they invested in mitzvah observance, aligning our bodies, which are composed of 248 limbs, corresponding to the 248 positive commandments of the Torah, 365 veins and sinews, corresponding to the 365 negative commandments of the Torah, which together form this structure that we refer to as the Tselem Elohim, the divine structure. When a person envelops himself and commits himself to learning and to embodying these commandments in that sense, and each one of us on our own level and, and every person needs to develop in precisely the way that they need to develop, at precisely the pace that they need to develop without rushing and rushing in like Elvis Presley sings, fools rush in, right? Fools, only fools rush in. You can't rush into anything. You go slowly, step by step, like Rabbi Nachman Laftal teaches in Torah Vav of, of, of Lakutim Ram, that the essence of tshuva, of returning to our essence, is uh, is hamtin, which means to go slow, patience, not to rush. So a person goes step after step. The more that a person binds the physical with these 
divine energies of that are the mitzvahs. We have a chippus. Says Rabbi Nachman. Let's read it inside. It's a reference to the great search that's conducted from these commandments. Because the, the commandments are these candles that we get. With which we use to search. Whatever this means. I don't know what search means. I don't know what the treasure houses mean. I don't know what the treasures are. But I know that Rabbi Nachman was plugged into some other place. And so, this is an interesting way of thinking about it. What does it mean? Kiner mitzvah v'torah are. We're going to see from the Zohar in a minute. Right? That each mitzvah is a candle and the Torah is a flame. This puts it into, into perspective. For when is it a candle? For when is it a flame? When a person leaves the, leaves the world, get all of these candles, a lit up, illuminated experience. That makes it far easier to grasp whatever treasures are there to be grasped. Whatever secrets um, whatever experiences of closeness and in intimacy with Hashem. And then Rabbi Nachman adds one last thing, but there's a really, really righteous person, and I think that each and every one of us, to, the, to a certain degree, can have this experience. That he doesn't have to wait until he dies, because his whole life is an experience of nullifying his ego, selfish, you know, this worldly selfhood, while he's already alive. And such a person, and even while he's still alive, his relationship with Hashem is so intimate that the mitzvos are in and of themselves experiences of searching in the treasure houses of the divine. He feels the eternal pleasure in the mitzvah in and of itself. It's a concept that's brought by many of the tzaddikim, many of the students, the disciples of the Magad Mizritch, who himself was a primary student of the Baal Shem Tov, who teaches that the words in the Mishnah, which states, schar mitzvah mitzvah, the reward for a mitzvah is another mitzvah, the reward for one experience of connection is another experience of connection, isn't to be read as one mitzvah's reward is another mitzvah, but rather, schar mitzvah, the reward of a mitzvah, if done properly, is the mitzvah itself. When a person is able, through the conscious, the broader, expanded consciousness of, of, of emuna, emuna, but not like, like faith, like just faith, you know, but emuna is consciousness, awareness, what's, what's called in the Baal Shem the dveikos, consciousness. The Baal Shem clearly writes, it's brought on the Taldus Yaakov Yosef, emuna is dveikos, that's what it means. Consciousness with a deeper reality when it comes sukkahs and a person's prepared and they've learned the depth of these four species and he understands how, how each of them is channeling one of the letters of Yudke Vavke, of Hashem's primary four-letter name. And he knows what each of those letters is. And he understands that they contain the entirety of creation. And he understands what the six directions are. And he understands what up is and what down is. And he understands what all the different meanings are. And whatever it is that he knows is still scratching the surface so that every year of his life, as Sukkot comes again, hopefully he takes the time to go even deeper, even deeper, even deeper, and he stands in shul, hopefully with his children next to him, and in that moment he recognizes this is not just like a, like a, like a ritual, and you, like you do it, you get it over with, and it's like this weird thing the Jews do, and they walk around and they shake plants, but in this moment he experiences the allness of being. In this moment he feels himself as a witness as all of us nationally are referred to, as the Pasuk says, You are my witnesses. You are a people of witnesses in a world gone insane. You testify with your strange rituals that the world hasn't yet come around to understanding. And maybe even many of us have, have a lot of work to do to develop like what these things actually are. But then we got to teach the whole world, if not the mitzvot themselves, because that's not really for everybody else. But the spiritual principles beyond them, they certainly are for all of humankind and are for us to teach. But we first have to learn them ourselves. So when a person is a channel in that moment for the Dalad Minim and for these mitzvot and for these, these verses from thousands of years ago that we believe to have been revealed from heaven to, to millions of people, men, women, and children, who pass this along to their children and them to their children in an unbroken chain through fire and water throughout millennia, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years in changing realities when these traditions haven't changed an iota, an iota, not fundamentally at least, not an iota. And certainly not the messages behind them that have withstood the, 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 and, and, and continue to withstand the tests of time. So, so the sweetness and the delight 
and the eternal pleasure of the soul. That's not self-oriented. That's just like, okay, I'm pretty hungry. Like, how can I get this done? And, you know, shake it and put it down and then get out of shul. It's like, what? Like, why are you even alive? Forget about the food that you have to eat. Why do you have a stomach, you know, that's feeling hungry? It's like, why, why are you a person? Why are you here for this moment alone? And if a person can get to this madriga, we're just referring now to one mitzvah out of 613, and they're everywhere you turn. It's tefillin in the morning. It's tzitzis that a person wears around them. And then it's even the less overt things, right? It's treating another person with respect. It's, 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 um, it's, it's looking compassionately upon the world. It's thinking, how can I improve the world? It means you're plugged into a deeper realm. And if you're plugged into a deeper realm, then time and space don't bind you. But it's predicated on getting ourselves out of the way and not seeing Judaism as like a spiritual capitalistic experience. It's just like, how much can I put in my bank account so that one day I can, you know, have a great feast for me, for me, for me. I don't exist. I don't exist. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm not interested in being in this miserable world. It's not for me. It's not for us. It's not for us. So obviously there's a bigger picture. So what is the bigger picture and how can I serve it? Cesar bin Achman, to the degree that we serve it and align with that vision, the sweetness that we can taste in every detail and every nuance and every verse that we read and learn and imbibe when we understand what it means to learn Torah, which is exactly what we're doing now, interfacing with the divine, what, when we understand what it means to be people who in 2024 are striving for connection, so that already is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a treasure that we can't really put into words. So I'm just going to read to you again. You don't have it in front of you. I, I saw this only after I prepared the sheets. I'll just read this to you very quickly, and then we'll see Reb Nossin, and we'll, we'll finish for tonight. Again, from the Zar, the primary textbook of, of Jewish mysticism, the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So this is a verse that says, Kiner mitzvah v'tarah are mitzvos, commandments, connection, opportunities are the candle, and the Torah is the, is the light, because they're all in the Torah. So the Torah is the energy behind them. And the way, the path of true life is a path of, of, of morality, of ethics. Of ethics. Says the Zohar, Kiner mitzvah, what does it mean that a candle is a mitzvah? The mitzvah is a candle. Every person that commits themselves to really taking this seriously, this spiritual discipline, not dogma. If it's dogma, forget about it. And not culture. If it's culture, forget about it. And not because this is what the school expects. And it's ridiculous. It has nothing to do with the school. Nothing to do. Nothing to do. It's a soul thing. It's not even a human thing. It's not even a family thing. It's not even a community thing. It's, it's what I am in my essence, well beyond any construct of this world. So a person that commits themselves to really connecting to the mitzvos is sadar kamei b'chol pikuda b'kuda chadshraga l'anhar lebahu alma. So literally the Zara says this. They give that person a candle. Each thing that we do, we gain a candle that's going to light for us and shine for us Bahu Alma in that in that realm. And the Torah are, but the candle is not enough, because you could have a million candles all you like. It's not going to do you any good because you can you carry a candle into a dark room if there's no flame on top of it, it's not either effective. So what is the what is the light? The Torah are. The Torah, Torah study is the light. Mandi is asak ba'iraisa, a person who engages in the study of Torah, zachala such a person merits that light. The adlika shragamine that is lit, lighting up the mitzvahs. And what this means fundamentally is, again, a person could do all the mitzvahs in the world if we don't come to them with the Torah behind them. And I don't just mean the halachos of how to do them and when to do them. But if I want my mitzvahs to shine, I have to have some concept about what they are. Otherwise, it's, it's straps. Otherwise, it's, it's plants. You understand? Otherwise, it's, it's just meaningless. So the Zarakadr says, I have to be approaching them with Torah. We're coming to Purim now. Just to give an example, right? Purim is in another couple of weeks. Purim is a day to end all days. It, it's a, it's a, it's it's a day that Yom Kippur, which biblically is considered to be the pinnacle of time, the the, the, the zenith of the of the spiritual experience as we pass through time in this realm, is called Yom Hakippur, which means Yom Kippur literally means the Day of Atonement, but it's Yom Kippurim, as the Zara says. 
which really means it's a day that's 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 compared to Purim. And like the Gemara says, what do you use to compare one thing to another? You compare the smaller thing to the bigger thing, right? You compare the you know the Honda Odyssey to the to the Bentley if you want to say that the Honda drives well, right? You don't you don't do the opposite. You, you, you compare the smaller thing to the bigger thing. That means that Yom Kippur, which all of us spend ah, come on, weeks and weeks and months preparing for, is, is, something, is something, maybe something a little bit like Purim. What Purim is. What Purim is. So now, I have two options. I can go into Purim without having done any preparation. I'll do all the mitzvahs of the day and guess what? I'll get checks, I'll get ticks, I'll get schar of some kind in Olam Hab in the next world, and it'll be fine, I'll get, and I'll get my reward, and I'll have done something that actually matters, and it's good, and there are far worse things that I could be doing with my time, and there are very few better things that I could be doing with my time, and all this will still be true. I can do all the mitzvahs of the day, which is reading the Megillah, and drinking to the point of inebriation one, in one form or another, and giving matanus lavionim, gifts to the poor, and shalachmanus, food packages to, 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 to each other. These are the four primary mitzvahs hayom of, of Purim. And I want to tell you something. Compared to, in relation to, an experience of Purim that a person enters into this day and to those activities having prepared for them, having really learned the depth of what, what these mitzvahs are, What's the depth of reading the Megillah? What is the Megillah? What is the Megillah? You could spend the rest of your life just on the Megillah itself and the deepest, deepest mysteries and secrets on every level of the text and the story and the narrative. What the depth of drinking is. What is wine? Why does wine operate on us the way that it does? What does this have to do with Purim? The depth of Matanus Yonim. Why specifically on Purim are we giving money to, to other people? The depth, the depth. There are thousands of pages about this in relation to entering Purim with all of the Torah, so to speak, an experience of just jumping into the day and checking all the boxes and doing everything you need to do, according to this Zohar HaKadosh, is like a candle with a wick and no flame compared to a candle and a wick. That's, that's a flame, that's with a light, fire, with everything that the symbol of a flame represents. Clarity, warmth. Movement, vibrancy, flickering. It's, it, it's turned on, you understand? It does something. It's really powerful. Kiner mitzvah, the mitzvahs are good, but they're vessels. The Torah are. The consciousness of, of what these commandments are, that's how we have an experience of Judaism that's like what it was intended to be. Because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah, Ellie. Oh, no, I was just going to say about at some point. It sounds a little bit like um, if you do the mitzvah without all the proper meaning behind it, then there's no real point in doing it. Not at all, so I want to reiterate. I want to reiterate. I think I mentioned that. Uh, that the whole nefesh hachayim, right? The whole work is really written uh, to, 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 con- you know, to, to push back against that claim. That No, there's always value. There's intrinsic, inherent value to doing mitzvahs. They do not require intention. And when a person does a mitzvah, even you know, so long as he's not completely drunk, you know, it's, 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 somebody does, person does something, changes the world and, and his soul and everything in the world. But as our Kodesh just said that, it's like a candle with no flame. Again, in relation to. So everything is relative to. Relative to what the experience could be, these are the symbols we're using. Does that mean that it's meaningless? Chas v'shal. Meaning relative to not doing the mitzvah, it's a candle with a flame, right? Compared to a candle without a flame. So very important, very important clarification. Thank you for that. But what do we want as Jews? We, we want to do it for real. Otherwise, we're wasting our time, right? So we have to aim for the ideal and not just, you know, suffice with saying, well, I mean, this also works. Like, yes, but like, like Harry was saying, so you'll get paradise in the next world. What about paradise in this world, right? Which may in a certain sense be, like we said before, the, the pinnacle, the pinnacle, the pinnacle. So this is what the Zohar says. I'm just going to read you a few more lines and then we'll finish up. Says the Zohar, a candle without a flame, it's nothing. But if you only have the, the consciousness, but you don't have the mitzvos, then it's also, it cannot really light. Because all you have is a flame, but a flame without a, without a candle is also not. Is also not. Which means to say, 
that if I really understand Jewish theology, it isn't simply this perennial mysticism that really in every culture, you know, you have people who are are spiritual beings. Judaism happens to do it this way, but you could just be, you know, like they say, I'll be spiritual, but not, you know, like what do I need religion for? There's, There's something missing in the theology though. Because from the Jewish standpoint, it's very important to engage in practical religious acts. Because the whole purpose from the religious standpoint of becoming enlightened, as it were, is for the purpose of bringing that light of God down into the, into the realm of the physical. That that's where the greatest revelation to divinity is. Why did God need that? God doesn't need anything. But from the standpoint of God being infinite, at least conceptually, he needs to also be able to express his light in the realm of limitation. Otherwise, his infinity wouldn't be total. So you and I have a mission of making for God what's called the Dira B'tachtonim, a little dwelling place in the lower realms, to manifest the way in which God is so infinite that he could even be experienced in the realm of the finite. It's the whole thing, in a certain way. There's more to it, but in a, in a certain way, that's the whole thing. And so in that sense, if all we have is the, is the meditation, all we have is the, is the higher perception but it doesn't translate in terms of a lived experience of a shining, healthy life of the way that the human being can fully manifest in all of his or her various ways of doing so throughout the human experience of the human condition. So then again, it's comparable to a flame. It's very beautiful and powerful and, and amazing, but like ultimately it, it, it doesn't have a base. The flip is if all you have is the religious base, but you don't have the spiritual element behind it, that's also missing, right? To use other terminology, A.J. Heschel once wrote in Gone in Search of Man, he says like, you know, body without a soul is a corpse. Soul without a body is a ghost. And God wants human beings. So we, we have to recognize we have both of these elements. We're intended to engage with both of these elements. And so... This is basically what the Zara Kaddish says. I'm not going to read now the Reb Nassim inside. I'm just going to tell you what he says because he adds a little bit to this teaching. And he explains that it, it's meaning a, a further, further element of what Reb Nachman is teaching over here about mitzvos being the candle and the consciousness behind it being the flame and then those being used to light up the dark places, whatever this means. Again, whatever this means, I don't know what it means. I'm so blessed, blessedly ignorant of this. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's so beautiful and wonderful. Whatever this means in the next world, says Rav Nassim, how does it work? Because if you only have one candle, it's going to only give you a certain amount of time. But all the can- the more mitzvahs you do, the more you're able to light one candle to the next and then one candle to the next, and then keep it lit for a much, 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 much longer time. And in the meantime, you're gaining, what again, whatever this means, you're gaining perception. You're gaining perception. And it's like, it's like again, I'm using this terminology only because because I think, first of all, it's very prevalent today, but also because it's it's the best terminology we have. Anybody who's familiar with the psychedelic experience of of, of substances, right? There are certain there are certain um, substances that take longer for the for the hallucinatory whatever it is that a person is experiencing, and there are certain ones that are super quick. You know, for example, DMT, which is which is which is one of the substances, fifteen minutes, up and down, boom, you know, you're back. Right, other things, psilocybin. There are, there are other substances, hours and hours and hours and hours. Right, and so in a certain sense, not not necessarily saying that this is synonymous with this experience. I don't know if it is. A lot of thought and a lot of study needs to be done to figure out what exactly is happening um, to people who have these experiences. But ultimately, to use that just as a parable, it's the same thing. It's like how long are you going to trip for, so to speak? I mean, how long are you going to have access to this? This realm, where, you know, where, where the heavens are are, are are stripped open, like like you know, like the like the like the Medrash says, by the by the by the by the banks of the of the Yamsuf, right, by the Red Sea when the Jewish nation crossed. So the Talmud describes how all the seven heavens opened up, and they or or like or like Yecheskel Anavi teaches, right? Um, 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 uh, what's the what's the lashon over there? Maris Alekim to Maftarav of um. Shvuas, huh? Yeah, it's it's when he has the vision of the Merkava, but it says that a lashon like that, the heavens opened up, the heavens opened up, and so the soul is going to go up and it's going to have this experience. Question is, how long will it be lit for? How much are you going to be able to see? And whatever you see there again in a realm beyond time and space, that's what you get. 
how much you're going to be able to see. And I want to close with just one last thing because it's a little bit scary, but it's also a little bit beautiful. The Me'ashilach teaches the Ishbitzer Rebbe, Talmud of the Kotzker, broke off from the Kotzker, a whole story, and he started his own Hasidus. He became the primary teacher of Reb Tzadik HaKoyim of Lublin and Reb Libla Eger and others. So the Ishbitzer Rebbe writes that whatever you get down here, in a certain sense, the same thing, but he puts it in this way, that's what you're going to get up there. He says, if you're a person who has not developed their spiritual capacity and consciousness in this realm, he says, you're, you're going to be limited by what you attain and access down here. It's not that once you're free from the body, boom, you know, like it's irrespective of, of what kind of person you became and what kind of thoughts you thought and what kinds of feelings you felt. You know, you're just a soul now. He says it's, 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 it carries the, the residue, whatever that, <laughs> again, whatever that means. But it's, I think it's a congruent teaching with what we're learning here. And how beautiful is it is that as we become broader people, deeper people, as we become deeper people, our vessels are expanding. I just want to, as I'll put you on the spot a little bit, Ellie. We met each other how long ago now? A month, over a month? A month ago. In this last month, through our teachings, would, would you agree that things have become a bit broader for you? Do you a little, agree? A little broader, yeah. A little broader, right? So imagine how beautiful it is that you're going to have a lifetime now, as will I and the rest of us. Hopefully, if we're seekers like Ellie is and like all of us are, that's why he's here, to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, deeper and deeper and deeper. And then after 120, you go up and like you have a, you have a whole stack, a whole stash of these candles. Again, it doesn't mean literally physical candles to light up whatever it is that we're going to have access to, whatever answers that we sought in this world that we'll gain, what, what, whatever it means that a person tastes, that at that point will shake with an eternal laughter of looking around and seeing the other side of the tapestry and be like, oh my gosh, like had I missed this? Had I missed this? So I'm pretty down for that. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know exactly what it is, but, it, but, but it's good. I know that it's good.